This show is a proud member of the Healing Broadcast Network. Are you annoyed by affirmations? When someone says to you, If you only knew the power of positive thinking, do you say, No, that's not true. That's impossible! Obi-Wan never told you what happened to the host of the overwhelmed brain. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am the host. Yes. If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then get ready to start creating the life you want now. This is Paul Coliani, host of The Overwhelmed Brain, the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. My ultimate goal is to help you become empowered so that you can create the life you want. Today's quote is by George Bernard Shaw, and it's this. Progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. I really love this quote because change is all there is, and if you don't change, you continually repeat the mistakes that you make. And you keep ending up in the same relationships, the same jobs, and the same situations. And it's because you've chosen to believe that you are right and that others should change. My own relationships failed because I would never change. I went through several relationships where the woman in my life would just leave. She would get sick of me in some way because I wouldn't change. I thought I was changing, but I really wasn't. And what was happening is that they were sensing something was wrong in the relationship. They didn't know what, but they just knew something was wrong. Now, in my relationships, uh, the main problem was my uh, two main problems, actually. Uh, One was my lack of masculinity. And the other one was my judgment. Now, the first one, my masculinity, is because I didn't like confrontation. I didn't like standing up for myself. I didn't like getting into arguments. So every time there was a situation where uh, a masculine role needed to happen, I would depend on the woman in my life to take that role and take care of the situation. Now, when you have a dynamic of a relationship, male to female, male to male, female to female, usually there's a masculine and a feminine, and they complement each other. And this is very helpful. You always hear people talk about which one of you is the woman. <laughs> now, in my, I'm not joking. I'm not trying to offend anyone, but in my relationships, I was more the woman in the past. And because of that, I was really more of a little boy, but because of that, I didn't stand up for myself. I didn't take the masculine role. And what that did was placed a real burden 
on the women in my life. This is why they didn't understand why they were growing sick of me, why they were getting burnt out on me. So I would have this very feminine, very receptive, nurturing, uh, helpful role, but I never took on the masculine side when it needed to happen. Now, I didn't know this until I hit my 30s. And my wife, when I was married, told me that I was acting like a little boy. And I put two and two together, realizing, wow, I've never really grasped onto my masculinity. I've always played a more receptive role, a more passive role. When I learned to understand my masculine side, uh, I started to adapt to that. I started to embrace that I was a man. And I don't like to use that term because anyone can use masculine or feminine in any way. So I started to embrace the masculine side of me. I started honoring my boundaries. I started standing up for myself. I started taking charge of situations where that masculine side needed to kick in. So it was important for me to adapt into this person because the women I wanted to be with wanted to be feminine. They wanted to feel safe and secure with that masculine energy that at the time I didn't have. But if I did, they would have at least that part of me. There were other parts of me that they didn't feel safe with, like my judgment issues. My judgment issues had to do with growing up in an alcoholic household. When I grew up, I was afraid of the person I was living with. I was afraid of what he would do next. So I, I took really careful steps not to evoke his behavior. And I took those uh, I took that personality into my adult life and started being really careful around other people. I, I would adapt to what I believe they wanted. However, I also set upon them some very high standards. So if they weren't behaving within the standards that I set for them, I would judge them. Oh, you're eating too much. You're not exercising enough. You shouldn't eat that. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't hang out with these people. Highly, highly judgmental. And like I said, it burnt the women I was with out completely. So it's important to understand that when your life is not working out, it's because you believe you're right and you shouldn't change. And I'm not saying it's like that all the time, but think about that for a minute. Think about if you feel like the victim at all, is it because everyone else is wrong and you're the only one that's right? And if that's the case, is that really true or is that what you want to attach to? Is, is being right what you want to stay attached to? I watch people hang on to a victim mentality because of their attachment to status quo. Everything in life is the way I want it. It's comfortable. I want to keep it this way. Yet I keep ending up as the victim. Well, as long as nothing changes, I'll be fine. It's a comfortable state of denial. That's like my mom. My mom was in a comfortable state of denial for 40 plus years with my alcoholic stepfather. A comfortable state of denial. That's no place you want to be because denial is denying what's really going on in your life so that you don't have to deal with it. And when you're in a place of comfort, it's really just the least of the worst that it could possibly be. 
When it gets worse than that, then either your toleration and your denial expands and amplifies, or you can't take it anymore and you get out of there. It's the concept we always hear a frog in a boiling pot of water where he doesn't realize it's boiling, so he never hops out. That's an urban legend, by the way. <laughs> but it's a great analogy for what I'm talking about. If the, the water gets hotter and hotter and hotter and you never jump out, you're just going to get used to it. And even though you're not uh, enjoying it, it's still better than what you believe it could be. It's still better than how bad you think it could get. And when you're in that place, you don't change. You don't want to change. After all, why would you change? Everything is good enough. I am settling because it's good enough. So many people's lives flash by because they accept good enough. And the word good sometimes doesn't even apply. Sometimes it's just not bad enough. When you're in a place of, well, it's not bad enough, that's when you need to reevaluate what's going on in your life and what you may need to change. If it's good enough, you might be able to live with it. You might find some happiness there. But if it's not bad enough, that's when it's important to figure out what's going on in your life and if you should change or not. Progress is impossible without change. And those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. You know, a flower grows towards the sun. It will shift its growth to always face the sun. However, people tend to avoid change instead of shifting with it. And some people will create a new sun and move towards that. That's called vision. Vision is the direction you're always moving in. It keeps you changing. It keeps you evolving with the world. Without a vision, you have stagnation. You wonder if this is all there is. A flower's vision is the sun. What's yours? Do you create your own sun, your own vision, and move towards it? If you're happy, you don't need a vision. You have vision built in. And if you're not happy or not as happy as you'd like, you need a vision. Now, what's a vision? How do you get vision? Well, the question you want to ask is, what do you want in your life? If you want a lot of money, what will having a lot of money give you? If it's a relationship, what will having that do for you? If you want great health, what will having great health allow you to do? Vision isn't about getting to the end result, like money or relationships or health. It's about what you get from getting those results. What do you get from having lots of money or love or health? Vision comes from a deeper place than just something you have in your life. What do you get from having those things? Now, once you know what you'll get from having those things, you'll know what you want and ultimately what your vision will be. For example, I'll be honest, I've always had a hard time saving money. So just a few years ago, finally, I decided to make a goal of making and saving 
a lot of money. I did save a lot. And then I invested it into this show. Now, making money is a goal towards my vision. My vision is to have the time and the freedom to experience life, to travel, to live without worrying about how I'm going to pay for things. What I get from making money is what creates my vision. Now, I want you to hear that. What I get from making money is what creates my vision. Your vision can be made up of what you get from what you want. So what do you want? What is missing from your life right now? First, think of something that's possible to attain. Money, the perfect relationship, a better relationship with the person you're with, health, a great career, whatever it is, think of something attainable. Now, think of what you would get from that thing. If you want money and what you get from having money is a new house, then you're still thinking too specifically. You need to be thinking more abstract. Like, what would having a new house give to you? What feelings and emotions come up for you? This is where your vision lies. This is your beacon. When you have a vision in mind, that will give you purpose and allow you to move out of stagnation and into progress. Be open to change. Create your vision and always move towards that vision with every mini goal you attain. The idea is not to make your vision so grand that you never attain it, but to make it just beyond your reach so that it takes effort to get it. Let's move on to the next segment. All right, this is our next segment, Ask Paul. This is where I read your questions on the air in hopes that not only I can answer it for you, but for others who might be thinking the same thing. Here's today's question. Hello, Paul. Thank you for your show. Your episode about the family curse helped me to understand my own behavior. I have a question that you may have an answer to. Recently, I've understood that despite all my work on positive thinking, I have a strange attraction to, quote, dirty materials. Not really disgusting or twisted. For example, if I find one violent video with a fight or aggression towards something unacceptable for me, i.e. violence against people smoking in public places, then I can spend half of the day clicking on related videos. I know that such information just makes me more nervous and irritable. How can I stop such negative intentions? Why do I consume such information at all? Well, thanks for your letter. First of all, positive thinking feels like denial. (laughs) And it's a conflict in your system. Whenever you introduce something into your body that you disagree with, you're creating conflict in your body. Now, what I mean by that is that you've worked on this, trying to use positive thinking. And you've probably listened to my show a while, so you probably understand how I feel about a message of positive thinking when someone tells you to think positively. What they're really saying is, and this is my own opinion, 
deny what's going on inside of you and try to overwrite those negative feelings with positive thinking. I don't like this approach. I think it creates conflict inside of you. It's like you're lying to yourself. So the reason positive thinking isn't working for you right now is because you have some other thinking going on that conflicts with the thoughts you're putting into your mind. And that affects you. You can feel it in your body. You know what it feels like. Even lie detector machines, those polygraphs, can detect physiological changes in your body when there's a conflict. That's why they ask you, if they were to ask me, is your name Paul? I would say yes. And there'd be no physiological change in my body because I'm not lying. But if they said, is your middle name John? And I said yes, I would feel the lie inside my body. And the polygraph detects it and moves the needle. This is the conflict. When you have conflict inside of you, it's because you're introducing information that you don't necessarily agree with, or it's alter or opposite of what you believe. So you have these thoughts and feelings inside of your body, and you think, oh, you know, I should just think positively because I want to get these bad thoughts out of my head. But when you do that and you try to overwrite what's there, which is what a lot of other people might teach, what happens is that you end up adding to the negative thoughts some positive thinking. So now you have both inside of you conflicting, fighting with each other. You feel it. You know there's something wrong. There's something going on inside of you. It does not feel good. And you can think positively over and over and over again. And it's, it is true. You will desensitize the negative thoughts. And eventually, they'll probably be out of mind uh, for indefinitely. However, they're still there somewhere in some small way. So yes, you can meditate and think positively all you want. And hopefully, the trauma or whatever you experienced in the past goes away. But most of the time, it does not. It's in there. It's repressed. It's somehow stored inside of you until you deal with it, until you express and release what's going on in there. So I'm not an opponent of positive thinking, but I am an opponent of using that as the only method of getting rid of negative thinking and negative thoughts. Conflict turns into bad feelings, which turns into believe it or not, more negative emotions. So the more you try to overwrite the negative emotions inside of you, the more negative emotions are created. It's almost like you feel bad for trying to cover them. So you already have bad feelings and bad thoughts, and then you cover them, we try to cover them with good thoughts, and then you get more bad feelings and bad thoughts because you caught yourself covering them or you feel like you're lying to yourself or whatever. Well, you can only repress negative emotions for so long. Positive thinking is a great procrastination device, but it just helps you to delay the inevitable. So here's what I suggest. Turn your positive thinking into honest thinking. What are you really thinking? Are you thinking, I want to hurt someone. I want to kill someone. What are you really thinking? And don't put yourself down for thinking it. Because you'll just create more negative thoughts and feelings. Allow your real thoughts to come up so you can release the conflict 
in your body. We're told not to harbor resentment, which is a good idea in theory, but we end up doing it anyway. So let me ask you, what resentment are you harboring? Be honest. If you can't think of anything, then think of all the people that you don't like or even hate that have ever crossed your path. Now, is there any resentment coming up for you? Now, let me talk directly to the letter writer. Once you start expressing your honest thoughts, at least to yourself, you'll start to understand where your curiosity with violent videos comes in. A curiosity or fascination with violence is actually normal because it's an expression of what needs to be strengthened in you. I'm not saying violence needs strengthening, but what draws you to the violence needs to be strengthened. I admit it. I'm fascinated by road rage videos. I think a lot of us are because we can all relate to road rage. However, I'm fascinated because it always blows my mind why people get out of their car and approach another car in an aggressive manner. They get so angry, they feel the need to exit their car and verbally or sometimes physically assault another driver. Now, when I explored the fascination inside myself, this curiosity, I realized that my own curiosity with these types of videos came from never being able to stand up for myself growing up, even well into my 30s. I had low or no personal boundaries. I feared confrontation and I felt powerless. You know, watching a bully get beaten down can sometimes give me pleasure. It's an awful thing to admit, but most of us don't like to see others get bullied. So when the bully gets what's coming, it's somewhat satisfying to me. Why? Why? Because standing up to a bully is something I never did growing up. Well, one time I did, and it did work out. But (laughs) every other time, I felt too much fear to do what was right for me. In my opinion, the reason you get sucked into watching these videos is that it makes you feel a certain way. Now there's some satisfaction you're getting. And now it's a matter of figuring out what's being fulfilled when you watch them. Watching these videos is not wrong. It's just a signal. It's a feedback mechanism to what you're missing in your life. If you spend a lot of time watching scary movies, maybe you don't have much adventure in your life. If you spend a lot of time watching bullies get beaten up, maybe you never felt that you could take care of yourself when threatened. These are things that you need to explore. There's nothing wrong with you at all. Just see what you're doing watching these videos as a signal of what you can work on in yourself. Look for some hidden need or desire behind your curiosity and you'll figure something out about yourself. Now here's something else. Don't treat anything as taboo. If you watch weird fetish videos, don't feel bad. Just treat it like feedback on what you're missing in your life. If the fetish is really out there or dangerous to you or others, then maybe there's something deeper that you need help with. Maybe you need to find a professional to help you explore it before it gets out of control. 
you're going to be your own best judge and jury there. But the fact that you're asking the question on how to either eliminate what you're doing because it's making you more nervous and irritable means that you recognize that there might be something you need to work on. So start with what you believe that need is and then go from there. If you need to sit in silence for a few minutes to think about the real reasons you watch these things, then do it. The answers are right there. Watching this stuff and filling your head with this stuff isn't necessarily wrong. It's just a signal. So respond to that signal and explore it. So there's my answer to you. I hope it helps you. Thank you so much for writing. On to our next segment. this next segment is called News and You. Research from the University of Houston sheds a little light on why some people who seek therapy end their treatment before the recommended amount of sessions. So listen to this. An article in ScienceDaily.com talks about how patients being treated for anxiety often end their treatment earlier than recommended. The researchers say, we don't know why. It says here, research indicates that patients who improved quickly are more likely to drop out before completing treatment, losing the potential for future benefit. Traditional decision-making research suggests patients should continue treatment as long as they are improving. They found a correlation between reduced symptoms and stopping treatment, meaning those traditional decision-making factors may not apply to mental health care. I don't have to read you any more of this article because the entire gist of it points to the fact that most of the patients they studied simply stopped going to therapy when they felt better. Now, I believe two things are happening here. Well, maybe more than two, but here's what I see. The patients are using what's known as an away from strategy. They're moving away from something they don't want. And the second one is the patients are either getting better or they're getting worse. But either way, the results they used to get with the therapists are no longer wanted. So I'll share with you my personal opinion on this in a minute. But first, let's take a look at that away from strategy. A towards strategy is when you're moving towards something you want. An away from strategy is when you're moving away from something you don't want. You may have heard Tony Robbins say that you're either moving towards pleasure or away from pain or both. So think of it that way. That's a good way to look at it. When you know which one you're doing, you'll know your outcome. So here's how you know. When you're moving towards something you want, you're more likely to get it. When you're moving away from something you don't want, then as soon as what you don't want isn't around anymore, then you'll typically stop your forward momentum. Now, this isn't always the case because You could be a person who is driven by moving away from something. But when you're not getting the results you want, change what drives you. So if you're a towards person, move towards something you want. If you're an away from person, move away from something you don't want. The way to figure out which one you are to get the most desirable results 
is to figure out if you're getting the results you want. Now, as far as patients quitting therapy, I want to give you a personal opinion that I don't want you to listen to or accept as truth because I'm not allowed to publicly disagree with many professionals in this field. So what you're about to hear (laughs) is for entertainment value only and is only the ramblings of a lowly personal development coach. Here it is. Some patients are afraid to disappoint their therapist. Some patients actually are getting better and don't need any more therapy. And some patients are getting poor quality therapy and need to get out of that situation. There, I said it. (laughs) Remember, this is only entertainment and opinions. But I shall continue with my personal opinion. I've been to therapy. I paid for quite a few sessions. After about four or five, I felt like I had nothing more to say. I talked and talked until I was done talking. First thing, it was incredibly helpful. And I was done. I felt my therapist was only there to take my money and listen to me talk. She really seemed to enjoy listening. (laughs) But when I would stop talking, she got surprised and she had to think of a question. (laughs) Also, I have not had any therapists actually see right through me. Those are hard to find. Those are the ones that really help you because we're all so good at denying our own truths. I'm so good at hiding some truths, or at least I've been good at hiding some truths, especially from professionals, from therapists. And even in relationships, I was so, I was so good at hiding some truths. Now, when I learned to express those truths, I was able to heal faster because I wasn't denying myself anyone from helping me. So when we go to therapy, you may have a tendency of hiding what's really going on inside of you because maybe you don't want to talk about it. You're embarrassed. You don't want to feel inferior to who you're talking to because you did such and such and they might judge you. Therapy or even coaching is the best place to get non-judgmental help where someone will listen to you where you feel safe and and one of the greatest things that happened to me in therapy is when i walked out the door i really felt like i left all my problems behind me but let me move on to what else i experienced in therapy every ounce of therapy i've ever had was extremely helpful but not in the way they intended it to be I often learned more when the therapy was not so good because it caused me to go even deeper into myself when I realized the therapy wasn't working. Isn't that an interesting thought? When I had a hypnosis practice in Texas, people would come into the office and I would work with them to help them with some situation, help them with some problem. And sometimes they would leave the office going, yeah, I don't know if that worked. Or maybe they would call me a week later and say, you know, I'm not coming back. I don't know if that worked. Uh, And I would kind of be disheartened. I would be like, oh, I really thought I was doing something good with them. But every time, I don't think I've heard a different story, maybe once, almost every time, they actually were able to resolve their problem. And what they would tell me is, you know, I don't think this worked but I found a way to resolve the problem 
on my own. Now, what's fascinating about that is that up to that point, and sometimes that's years, they were not able to resolve that problem. But after they left, for some reason, they figured out how to do it. Now, if it was because I had a bad approach and they said, wow, if that's as good as it gets, I better heal myself. Or maybe my approach was fantastic and they they were changing and they didn't even know it. Either way, I got the results that I wanted for them. And they got the results that they wanted for them. Which is why, (laughs) this is weird, but even bad therapy can be good. So, That's just a side note on therapy itself. Again, these are all my opinions. These are all the things that I've experienced in my personal life. And however your experiences are with therapy, or if you haven't done it yet, this is totally for entertainment value. (laughs) Therapy in itself is effective because it's a different perspective, but it may not always be the right kind of therapy. You may need to seek someone that works for you and with you. It's really a personal choice and kind of testing the waters every time. Now, with this study I'm talking about, what I really don't understand is how some therapists think it's a problem when clients end their treatments early. The only effective treatment is when you have a willing participant anyway. When they're reluctant, they can still be helped. But if they're so reluctant they refuse to show up, then you probably can't help them anyway. You know the saying, help those who want to help themselves. And finally, what if the patients no longer feel anxiety? What if the work is done? (laughs) Why would you want to continue? In this study, patients stopped when they felt better. If you feel better, what are your results after that? If they're poor, maybe you need more therapy. If they're great, then maybe you've had enough to move on and progress on your own. Sometimes the tools we're given are all we need to continue doing things on our own. That's what I like to do with this show. I like to give you tools so that you can move on on your own. I don't want you to listen to this show forever. I want you to get what you need so that you can create the life you want. So you can move on and make life the way you want it. And at the same time, I want you to listen to this show forever, (laughs) at least as long as it's on the air, because the more people that listen, the more people can help others. I feel like if I'm helping you, then you can learn something to help others. And if that spreads, the whole world benefits, at least the people that you can touch in your world. Now, the problem is not everyone can accept the same type of advice, the same type of teaching. Some people would tune into me and then tune out real quick. You'll try to convey information that I'll say and they'll go, yeah, I just don't get it. He doesn't sound like a good teacher. (laughs) It really depends on how it's all conveyed and it depends on where they are in life. I don't teach from an energetic standpoint. I don't teach the law of attraction and vibrations. I teach from a practical, down-to-earth, very grounded approach so that you can take steps today to start changing things, to start thinking of things in a new way. Just creating a new perception is sometimes all you need to start making changes in your life now. Again, all of this is my own opinion. If you're seeing a therapist now, they know you better than me. So 
just take what I say with a grain of salt. (laughs) What I teach is that your results will tell you what you need in your life. If you're happy, you're probably fine the way you are, in my opinion. Unless you're in denial, and if that's the case, listen to my episode on denial. (laughs) Let's move on to our final segment. this final segment is called what's on my mind right now well i don't know if you follow me on facebook or not but i posted a couple weeks ago that my cat had cancer he was diagnosed with cancer and i think i talked about this last week as well but the latest update uh, is that my cat passed on he died it was a few days ago i was up until 2 30 a.m and i could tell He was on his way out. Now, I want to tell you the stages that I went through and most people go through when they experience the death of an animal or a person or anyone that they love in their life. The first stage, at least for me, was mourning. And I'm also happy. So I'm mourning, but I'm also happy that he's not suffering anymore. But quickly, the second stage kicked in, which was guilt. I felt guilty that oh, I should have done something different. I should have gotten a second opinion, a third opinion. I should have taken him in sooner. Uh, Was he just constipated? Maybe he needed an enema. You know, something else just kicks into your mind thinking of all the stuff you could have done. I felt like I didn't do enough. And then I asked my girlfriend and she said, you did everything you possibly could have done. So that second stage guilt kicked in. And then the third stage is expecting him to be here. I wake up and I look down at the floor and he's not there. I walk in the kitchen and he's not there. I look to where he used to sleep and he's not there. And day after day, it's getting a little easier or at least I'm a little bit more aware that he's not going to be around. But every now and then something triggers me, a thought or a piece of furniture where he used to lay uh, kicks in a memory and I just expect to see him. Then the fourth stage, day after day, I wake up and I wonder where he is. The third stage was I expect him to be there. Of course, he's going to be there. He's always there when I wake up and he's standing right there on the floor. But this fourth stage is wondering where he is. Where's Ming? Where's my cat? Oh, and it's a reminder. I realize he's not here. So it's kind of close to the third stage. I expect him to be here. And then the fourth stage of every day, where is he? Oh yeah, he's not here. So the fourth stage is really starting to embrace that he's not here. And that's when it starts settling in that, oh yeah, he is really not here. It's a realization stage. Now the fifth stage, which I haven't arrived at yet, will be full acceptance and understanding. Now, full acceptance of what? Full acceptance that he's gone. Full acceptance that When I wake up, I will not expect that he's around. I will not have to suddenly realize again that he's not here. I will just know it. And full understanding of, oh yeah, this is how it was supposed to be. No matter what I did, there's nothing I could have done. Even if I did take him to another vet or I got him in earlier, 
it doesn't matter. This is, this is bound to happen anyway. He was 20 years old. <laughs> he was an old cat. So this full acceptance, when that kicks in, then every time I think about him, it will be from the perspective of, yep, he's gone. Yep, I wish he was here, but I understand that he's gone. I'm, I understand it and I accept it. That's the point where the grieving stops and you can move on completely without any of these old emotional triggers. Now, emotional triggers will still happen. I'll still see things that remind me of him, but it won't be that tug on the heart. It won't be that, oh no, I wish he was here. And then the final stage is back to normal where I'm not so reminded of his presence anymore. I can think of him from time to time, but I've let go of a lot of the attachment that I had of him being in my life. It sounds cold, but that's a path to healing. That's a path to growing and moving on so that you're not stuck in a place where you're still hurting. That's where I like to be. I like to be in a place where I'm not stuck missing and longing and pining for some person or animal in my past. When you can get to a point of a full understanding that they're no longer here and full acceptance, which is what they would want for you, then you can move on. So I don't feel bad for getting to that stage. I'm still on my way there, not still fully there. But when I do get there, which will be soon, I'll be able to move on and the the hurt and the pain will be gone. It's important to remember that death is a natural step and something we'll all go through. Loved ones will die and we have to go through these stages. The problem is sometimes we refuse to let go. We refuse to heal. Here's a technique that I use and I recommend you use if you need it to help the healing process after an animal or a person dies in your life. When you think of memories that hurt, see yourself as if you were standing outside yourself. So if you think back to a loved one and it hurts you because they're gone or whatever, then imagine yourself in that scenario. But instead of looking through your own eyes, you're looking at yourself from far away. You're looking at it from a distance and you can actually see yourself with that loved one or whatever the situation is. This is called a third person perspective. It's a different position in your memory so that when you look at it, when you look at that situation, when you look at yourself and you can actually see yourself over there, it feels different. It feels a little less painful, even a lot less painful because you're looking at yourself It's an interesting perspective, but whenever you have any type of painful memory, do that third person perspective. Step outside of yourself in your memory and see yourself and you'll experience it differently. You'll also remember it differently. Now on the opposite side, when you have happy memories, for example, I have a lot of happy memories with my cat. When I think of those memories, I want to be inside my body in the memory, looking out of my own eyes, experiencing the memory fully, fully present in that memory as if I'm really there experiencing what's going on. So I think about uh, some memories with my cat, like when he used to love sitting outside on the balcony, soaking up the sun. And I would come out there and pet him and and love him. and, And he would just love me back. I experienced that from my 
own perspective and it feels good because I know he's happy and he feels good. So do that. When you have painful memories, remember them outside your body. When you have happy memories, remember being inside your body and experiencing it completely. When you accept death, you actually accept life completely. So when you fully accept every aspect of what life brings, you'll be more resilient and you'll actually have an easier path in life. It's not like completely easy because death is never easy to accept. And sometimes it seems impossible to get through. But just grieve all you can because when you don't, you're holding back the healing. Healing starts as soon as you let it. I started cleaning up all the cat stuff around the house right away. Now I know animal death is probably not as powerful as when a person that we love dies, but the pain is real and it has to be handled in pretty much the same manner. Now, whatever guilt comes up, whenever you think that you didn't do enough or say enough or didn't do or say anything at all, put all that energy towards those people and animals that are alive. When you want to feel guilty, which you're allowed to do, take that guilt and transform it into love for someone else. This can and does work. Always transform guilt into love and attention towards someone else. You never know who will die, so turning guilt into love is all you can do that will ease your own pain or resentment. Pain does go away, but the positive memories will never leave you. This means that you can let go of the pain and keep the positive memories. And I know some pain is unbearable, so cry like a bear until you're exhausted. Some people or animals are taken away unexpectedly or cruelly. So all you can do is feel whatever anger or hatred or sadness or anything else and just allow those emotions to exist without resistance. Resistance causes stress and even more pain. So don't resist what comes up for you. Just let it rise and scream it out if you have to, but let it exist. And finally, when the pain is so great, you just need to wait. And if it's been longer than six months or a year, then you need to find someone safe to talk to. But wait long enough to give yourself time to go through all the experiences, all the stages that you need to go through in order to finally release and move on and heal. I recommend finding a professional when it's been way too long and only you can determine what way too long is so that you can have a place to express yourself safely, which is half the battle sometimes. Death is no fun, but it's also part of life. We don't want our loved ones to die I don't want my girlfriend to die. I don't want my mom to die. I don't want my father. Well, my father already died. But there's people in my life I don't want them to leave me. But I know they will. Or I'll leave first and then those people will have to deal with the pain. And some people in our lives, our, our children especially, God, if they leave us, it's so hard. But allow yourself to go through the stages. Allow yourself to experience every stage. But know that the next stage is coming. And the final stage is just fully accepting and moving on and healing. doesn't mean you like it. You just accept it and you move on. Thanks for listening today. 
you're a coach, a counselor, or a healer of any sort and want to grow your practice, consider joining the Healing Broadcast Network at healingbroadcastnetwork.com. You'll not only have access to experts and resources that will help you expand your reach in the world, but you'll be with people that will stop at nothing to help you succeed. Visit healingbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I thank everyone who has purchased a book or a worksheet, left a review, or used the Amazon link. I love giving you everything I know each and every week, and I want to be there for you whenever I can. So if you'd like to give back, there are two ways to support the show. Well, there's probably many more ways I haven't even thought of, but use the Amazon link or click on the donate $5 button at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. I remember the first time I pulled money out to give back to someone who all they did was create a piece of software that I use. I never met them. They were online, but I downloaded this piece of software. It was free. Uh, and I've paid for software for years, but there's a lot of free software that you can get nowadays. So the only way that developers make money is when people donate to them. And guess how many people donate to them? Probably less than 5%, I'm thinking. Because if I'm downloading software for free and never donating, then they're not making money. So I wasn't giving back for years. But when I finally donated to someone who created just an amazing program, it felt pretty good. And when he thanked me, I felt even better. So if you want to give back, you don't have to send a lot. Just click on the donate $5 button or use the Amazon button at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. I appreciate you and thank you so much for your support. You are a part of the foundation of this show and I am grateful. We started today's show talking about change and coming to accept that change is all a part of moving forward and progressing. If you don't change, then you're in stagnation. How many people do you know that are in stagnation? If you're listening to this show, you're not one of them. <laughs> I guarantee it, you are not one of them because people who are in stagnation don't want to hear this kind of stuff. They want to stay where they are. Or maybe they tune in and they listen and they go, yeah, but you know that's not going to work in my situation, so I'm not even going to try it. Those yeah, but people. What I recommend, if you're a yeah, but person, try it and prove me wrong. You might prove me wrong. <laughs> you might be right, but try it anyway. There's so many things that I try. I call it try it on. You know what? Somebody comes up to me with a different concept. They'll say, this is what you need to believe because it's true. Try it. And so I try it. And if it doesn't resonate with me, I take it off. <laughs> Somebody came up to me and said, God is the answer. Jesus died for your sins. Try it on. So I talked to different people that believed in God and uh, they gave me their perception of all the teachings. And some of it I liked and some of it didn't make any sense doesn't mean I don't believe, but it doesn't mean I fully believe. It doesn't really matter. I'm just trying on things as I go. So I don't want to be a yeah, but person. Yeah, but that won't work. So I'm not even going to try it. I mean, of course I do that with some things in my life, but I highly recommend that you just don't say yeah, but to everything. 
I had a good friend who I would kind of give advice to, you know, regarding his marriage because it was going down the tubes. And he would always say, yeah, but, you know, she's not going to respond to that. Or, yeah, but, all right, whatever. I mean, he, he wouldn't try anything, anything that I told him. And I knew some of this stuff would work. I mean, I teach this stuff. I now have a, a radio show that I've been doing for two years. I know some of this stuff works, but yeah, but I'm not going to try that. And here we are many, many years later, and his marriage didn't work out, and that's all fine and good. He found someone else, and I really love the guy, and he's a great guy, but he just never did anything that he didn't think would work. There's good reasons to do things that you think won't work, and sometimes there's no good reasons. But when you keep your belief system and keep getting bad results, there's something going on there. There's something that you need to try on to get different results. So that's how I want to end the show today. Try it on. If you hear something that sounds zany, just try it on. See if it works. And if it doesn't resonate with you, take it off. I hope you have a great day. It's really good to connect with you. And of course, I want you to step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. When you do this, you'll discover something that I already know to be true about you. And that is, you are amazing. foreseen this. It is your destiny. Come with me. It is the only way.